Good to see you. My name is David and uh, pastor of this beautiful church. Uh, coming up on four years, actually, uh, snuck up on me too. But uh, we're happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. Uh, we're entering into what many would consider to be the most wonderful time uh, of the year. However, we're overtly mindful that this is not always the most joyful time of the year for everyone. There's bills that are still due. Uh, in fact, they seem to come in uh, double in December, there are loss of loved ones. There's people in hospitals and sick and, and nursing homes and so on. And, and it's not always the most wonderful time of the year. And so what I encourage uh, our church to do every year is uh, be here. Bring your emotions with you, your, your hurt, your pain, your joy, your excitement. And we'll feel those together. The beautiful thing about being in community alongside one another is that you don't have to put a fake smile on. You don't have to pretend to be something uh, that you're not or feel what you don't. We come and we feel together. And the most wonderful thing that you can do, especially this season, is gather together with other people. Now here's what's going to happen is you're going to feel like staying home. You're going to feel like isolating yourself and, and ostracizing yourself because you may not feel joyful or feel happy, but I want you to be here anyway. I want you to fight this natural tendency to want to isolate yourself this season and be around people. Be around people who love you and care for you and want to lift you up. And don't, don't worry, oh, I'm going to bring everybody down. Don't worry about that. I'll bring everybody down. You know what I mean? You guys just come. Let's just come together and let's just feel because I want this to be a beautiful season for I love Advent. Um, I've had some really hard advents, um, and, and we'll have hard advents in the future. Um, and, and this one may be hard, but at the moment, we're feeling uh, positive and, and good. And the reason we celebrate Advent is because uh, it's easy to uh, get caught up in the experience of Christmas while missing the meaning of why we celebrate Lights and trees and presents and music and all of that ends up being uh, the end in itself. And it's not. It's a means to another end. It's pointing us to the beauty of Jesus. And, and this time of the year, people are uh, more susceptible and everyone's a little more sensitive and our emotions are a little closer to the surface. And that's so good. I love that. It's a beautiful time for us. This time before Christmas is the Advent season. It's the four Sundays before Christmas Day. And uh, we celebrate the four themes of Advent, the hope and the love and the joy and the peace that come through Christ. And so the next several weeks we'll be walking through uh, those themes. But Advent, in, in, by definition, it means the coming or arrival. That we celebrate the coming of Jesus, but the first Advent was the reality that Jesus came as a baby. And we celebrate the birth of Jesus by remembering the longing of the Jews for a Messiah to come and save them. We celebrate the first Advent, which was the birth of Jesus, and then we also uh, listen to and lean into the second Advent, which is the coming of Jesus, which has not happened yet. So everybody take a deep breath. Uh, you didn't miss anything. Jesus is coming, though. We believe that. And so we're in this liminal space, you and I. We're in this in-between, that threshold of your doorway that's not in the next room, but it's not in the room you were just in. We're in liminal space here. And, and we lean into that liminal space together knowing that we need Jesus. We need a Savior and we need a Messiah. We need someone to come and deliver us. And yet we realize that God is working in the world around us. If we'll just choose to recognize that, that Advent is a reminder that Christmas means God is working out his purpose in our world. And throughout this series, we'll be lighting a candle representing the different aspects of, of Advent's and I forgot to light it earlier, but uh, this morning we represent, uh, we light the candle of uh, hope. That today we're actually titling the, the message, The Thrill of Hope. Because hope can be thrilling. 
That the reality is we light candles for each element. So there's hope and love and joy and peace. The center candle is representing of Jesus. If you're here on Christmas Eve, and I know you will be, uh, we're going to light the center candle and we'll celebrate Jesus and what he means to us. But we light hope today knowing that Jesus is the light of the world. And if you and I have aligned our lives with Christ and we accept the hope that is uh, from Jesus, then we actually take this light up and we take it into dark spaces. Darker the space, the brighter your light. But some of us, our hope light is starting to dim. You've placed hope in things that have let you down. You've expected and and longed and waited and then it failed. And maybe you've blamed God and I'm not here to judge you for that. What I am here to do is I'm here to encourage you to allow Christ to present himself to you for who he is. And to allow that hope flame to uh, build If you blow on a candle or you add a little fuel to it, it's going to get bigger. And I want today to be that fuel. I want that propane to be turned up a little bit in all of our lives so that our hope, light, can shine that much brighter because I know this is a hard season for so many people. And yet you and I, if you've aligned your life with Christ, have this hope in Jesus. So we light these candles representing the light of Jesus. And so we focus less on Santa Claus and and, and singing and, and, and caroling and parties. And we focus more on the reality that God is come to bring hope and love and joy and peace in our lives if we'll accept it it's a gift that's laid in front of us if we'll take it up and so today we talk about the thrill of hope i've noticed uh that a lot of songs christmas songs but even modern worship songs are uh primarily driven towards us and feeling in modern day and very rarely do we sing songs about hope Modern songs are not written about hope because we know Jesus has come, right? We know that Jesus has been born, and and, and, and so we're on the other side of history here where we recognize Christ has been born to us. We recognize that salvation is available to us. Grace and mercy has been given to us. And so we don't necessarily sing about hope because we think we've already received all that there is, and we know Christ is coming, and there's more to come, but our focus is so often on the here and now. But I think we often fail to think on and sing about hope because uh, it's easy to talk about hope when the results have already happened. It's easy in hindsight to talk about how you need it and God came through for you. That's simple. It's a lot more difficult, though, when you're in need. When you're longing, when you're waiting for someone or something to happen to come through, when your relationship is strained and your bills are coming due and you're waiting on test results or whatever your scenario, it's hard to talk about hope when you're in such need That hope in the midst of chaos and pain and problems is much more difficult. Hope when you are actually not sure things are going to turn out is a whole lot harder to talk about. But hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is not dreaming of something better. In biblical terms, hope is actually best understood as expectation or confidence built upon something reliable and solid. So if you're here and you have some uh, money in the stock market, like I do, I'm sorry, we're, we're struggling together. That was hope in something that was not confident. That was something not reliable, right? Uh, my truck this week, I went to start it and the battery was out. It wouldn't start, right? I, I thought that I had something confident and reliable. I bought a name brand vehicle and, and, a, and a good battery and, and yet it did let me down. So many things in our lives let us down and so we don't think hope is reliable, We don't think hope is uh, something we can expect. And yet when we place our hope in Christ, it will always uh, yield uh, return. And so in Isaiah 9, verse 6, we find a passage that's easy to read this time of the year. It's a very Christmassy passage. And it says, for a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. 
And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. We love reading this, and yet when you really dive in, you look at the context, and you start to break down the words, you find very quickly that this was a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. We know that Jesus came. We can actually go and find proof. Um, Arguably, there's proof that Jesus uh, was born. We can go to the historical sites. We can go and find the the, the tomb and go Gotham and go to Bethlehem. And we can go to these physical sites. We have the Shroud of Turin, which we believe was the cloth laid over Jesus' face. Even science has somewhat reinforced and proven the reality that Christ has come. We know this, but the people that Isaiah was writing to didn't know. Jesus hadn't come Yet, throughout the Old Testament, the people of Israel, they didn't really have the proof that you and I have today. What they did have was hope. See, they found themselves in captivity, empowered to uh, uh, power-hungry men and, uh, who were ruling over them, and, and there was evil, and, and the prayer of the Israelites was to be rescued. We need a Messiah, somebody to set us free. They were in constant state of having hope and losing hope and having hope and losing hope. And Isaiah pins these words, encouraging and reminding, not as a carrot, not as a, like, I just keep just a little longer, just a little further. But he was actually using these words to encourage the people of Israel to keep hoping. See, Isaiah exclusively uses future tense. If you look at the passage again, it says, for a child will be born. A son will be given. He's not saying it's happened. He's saying it will happen meaning it's not right now. Now, I don't know what you need in your life. I don't know what you're holding out hope for. I don't know what your situation is because every one of us have different situations and scenarios, narratives playing out in our lives. But I know all of us need God to do something. And I don't know what it is for you, but if you've invited God into your life and you're asking him to come through for you in a real and tangible way, you have two choices. You can hold out hope, You can keep trusting, keep believing, and keep uh, praying that God comes through, or you can give up. When I look at the people of Israel, and I I, I realize, and I place myself in their position, and I see that uh, they're being told, God, someone's coming, Jesus is coming, he's going to save you. They had two options. They could keep hoping, keep reading the passage, keep longing, keep expecting, keep trusting, or they could have given up. You can keep hoping, or you can give up. Now, here's what I know about us. If you want a predictable immediate outcome in your situation, give up. We know what giving up yields. We know the return that it yields. Give up. Walk away. You're done. You don't have to worry about it. The solution is done. If you want a predictable, immediate, now we want predictable and we want immediate. Those, those words resonate with my soul. I mean, yes, please. Then give up. But here's the thing. What if we held on to hope, though? See, the thrill of hope for you and I is that we actually get to live in the not yet while holding on to hope for the yet to come. Now, I know when you're in the midst of pain or struggle and you're waiting for the test results and you're waiting for this or that, you don't feel like it's exciting to wait. But do you know, in some of our worst moments, we feel the most alive. It's that waiting. It's not quite here. 
And it's trusting that God will come through. See, what if you and I chose to be people, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what it looked like or felt like, what if we be people who determine here and now in front of God and man at this hope candle, we say, in the midst of turmoil and the unknown, we're actually gonna allow our hope to fuel, to be enraged, to enlighten our path. We're gonna actually hold on to hope. Because humans, we're the only people, we're the only creation that can lose hope. Have you thought about that? Like, we have a cat that's indoor-outdoor, and in the mornings, it's all outdoor, and uh, it's cold, and the cat does not like to be cold, and so it sits at the door and just scratches and begs. It wants in, but it just wants warmth. It's not hoping that, like, tomorrow the door's open, or next week it's open. It's not hoping the stock market comes up, or that the food is better the next day. It doesn't have hope. It just wants what it wants. You and I are the only creation on earth that actually can hope because we're the only ones that can have and give hope. Now, here's the thing. We lose hope because we once had hope. The only reason you can lose hope is because at one point in your life you had it. And if you and I have the capacity for hope, then we have the potential for it. We have the potential to hope, but what is your hope in? The thrill of hope is that we get to experience the not yet while waiting for the yet to come. Now, as we read Isaiah's words and they're on Christmas cards and so on, we lose sight of the reality that Isaiah's prophecy comes 700 years before Jesus. 700 years, Isaiah is saying, someone's coming to save us. Hold on to hope. 700 years. Many of us won't wait seven minutes in a Starbucks line for coffee. 700 years. Hold on to hope. Don't let go. Don't forget. For generation after generation after generation, they're passing. I mean, 700 years is at least seven lives of some of the people in our first service. So we're looking at maybe eight or nine of us because, you know, I don't know how long you're going to live. But this is a long time. For generations, we're passing down to our kids and grandkids and great-caring kids and great-great-grandkids the stories of Jesus. He's coming. We're telling the goodness of God and how he's worked things out in our lives. He's coming and sending someone. He's going to save us. And they pass down for generation to generation. What stories are we passing down? What stories are we telling? Are we telling stories of hope? Are we telling stories to our kids and grandkids and on and on that, that Christ is for us and God is with us? Are we passing down a legacy of hope? Or is all the people around us here is despair? See, it's easy to focus on what we want, need, and don't have. It's easy to focus on the yet-to-come part. It's interesting how fast we forget about what we've been given. We've been given Christ. So can we hold on to hope? See, we light the first candle to represent the coming of our Savior, and we believe that God is constantly inviting us to hope in him again. So fast forward 700 years, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The man named Joseph of the house of David, the virgin's uh, name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Rejoice, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. The angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will what? 
I think you said have no end. That's on the screen. He'll have no end. It doesn't end. In the verse, we find a very young and unmarried Mary, 12 to 14 years of age. And here she is just hanging out, sitting there, maybe on her phone. I don't know what people back then did, but she's just waiting. And an angel appears. And the angel's like, hey. And she's not afraid of the angel. That's the thing I find the most baffling about the entire story. An angel appears. I'm terrified. She's not afraid of the angel. She's afraid of what the angel's going to invite her into. Isn't it interesting how often we're afraid of what God's going to invite us to do, and yet we're not really afraid of God, but we're afraid of what God is going to invite us to do? What's he going to tell me to do? What am I going to have to give up? What am I going to have to sacrifice? Angel shows up. Hey, she was deeply troubled by this statement, and immediately she began to fear. Not that there was an angel, but that God was going to speak to her in a way that maybe she wasn't comfortable. The angel, angel quickly said, hey, don't, don't, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. But fear is often the very first emotion that all of us feel when something's not right. The moment we find ourselves in liminal space, in in-between space, the moment something transpires that we didn't expect or prepare for or want, fear is the immediate result. Now, we've put words to it like stress and anxiety now. Though there's a strong argument that's, uh, that, that has been made that stress and anxiety are not real, that it's all fear. We just rechange the name. Different sermon, different time. The idea, though, is fear is an immediate feeling that all of us experience when things are not right. We feel this sense of fear, and fear is inevitably paralyzing. I mean, we stop. It overwhelms us. But the enemy of hope is fear. If you want to combat fear in your life, then invite more hope. If you want to push back fear's effects of your life, then invite more hope, encourage more hope. That what I realize is that when you and I come into a room like this, and we sit around a candle and Christmas lights and we gather together and we sing how good God is. And we open the scriptures and we read about his wonderful works and, and we receive communion together. We're reminded that we don't have to be afraid. That we're actually reminding each other that we don't have to be afraid. We're here for one another and God is here for us that when we step into a room like this, all that stress and anxiety or whatever you want to call it, fear, begins to slide off. We clean the slate. We start over. We begin to hope again. That what I know about hope is that if you place your hope in Christ, we have hope for the future. You can place your hope in everything else. It's not going to last. My car, the stock market, whatever. It's not going to last. Whatever you bought me for Christmas, because uh, I know you've already picked it out, it's not going to last. It's going to fade. It's going to break. It's going to end up in a, possibly a landfill. It's not that I won't enjoy it. Thanks for thinking of me. It's not just the thought that counts. The idea, though, is that it's all for nothing in the end. But what I know about you and I is if we'll place hope in Christ, it's for eternity. His kingdom will have no end. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth, and the son you'll call him Jesus. He will be great, and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. See, many of us are apprehensive about the future. Even thinking about it, hearing the word, you're like, oh no, I don't know what January's gonna look like. Uh, do I have health insurance? Have I set myself up for failure for in this relationship? Whatever. We all think forward and we think, I don't know what's there, so I must be afraid of it. But the future is actually pretty exciting because God's the God of the future. It's so easy for us to get focused on how God is the God of the past. I can see what he did in Christ. I can see what he's done in my life. I can see what he's done for my family. I can see that. I retain those memories. And I can remember what God has done in the past. So there go. I must believe that God is the God of the past. Hindsight's twenty twenty. 
But God's the God of the future. He's moving faster than us. He's going further than us. And he's preparing us uh, to be there and to meet whatever's waiting on us. And though it's not yet, it's still to come. And just because you don't know what's ahead and you haven't experienced it doesn't mean that God doesn't know what's ahead. So we don't just celebrate a baby in a manger that's been born for us. We actually celebrate the coming of the eternal, immortal, all-knowing, ever-present God of the universe who will ultimately deliver us from the evils of this world. That we get really excited over wrapped presents and singing and, and, and what's happening in the holidays. We should be even more excited about the coming of Jesus Christ. That he's for us. And he's moving ahead of us because hope in the future is exciting. And sometimes we get so excited for something, we just wait. We just sit and wait. Uh, I, I've, we're ordering a lot of our Christmas presents. I, I love small businesses and try to... But we're in Evansville, so uh, a lot of stuff comes from uh, other places. Sorry, city of Evansville, uh, but it's just the reality. And so uh, when you order something, I just ordered something for myself because I'm a grown man. And, uh, and I, got a, I got a tracking number. Love tracking numbers. I love a tracking because, you know, I can see it. I can feel it coming closer. And I'm like, here it is. It's in this city and that city. And, and then when it's close in town, I can see the little truck, you know, on my map. And I'm like, oh, boy, I love a tracking number. And yet what I realize is that when I'm waiting for something, usually if it's something big, uh, I, I'll just sit. You know, I had to sign for some things the other day. And uh, I, I went home. I had to go home. I had to work from home and, and wait. And you just wait. You're so excited. You can't quite move. You're just anticipating. And yet God is not in invited us to sit and wait. In the anticipation of his return, he's given us a mission while here on earth. One of our five purposes is this church's evangelism, to spread the good news, to spread hope, not just to sit by a hope candle and sing some songs and warm our hands, but to actually take hope out beyond these four walls, beyond where we're comfortable, and to take hope into the world because God's given us a mission as a church. We try to position ourselves in every opportunity to make sure we're proclaiming the hope that is Jesus Christ. But what are we doing in our personal lives? Are we holding on to hope and then taking it into the lives of others? If you think about it, the message of Jesus is not optimistic or pessimistic. Optimism, and when we live by uh, an optimistic mindset, says that we can fix things. Things are really bad, but we can fix them if we just knuckle down and we just try a little harder. I can make it work. That's optimism. Pessimism says things are so bad, nothing can be fixed, and it's all for nothing, and it's all just a waste. The message of Christ is that things are really bad. And there's hope. You can't fix it yourself, though. Christ has come. And he's going to save us, rescue us. That optimism is passive, but hope, hope is active. Optimism says I'm optimistic that, you know, this lunch is going to be great. But what God invites us to do is, hey, this lunch is going to be great because I'm going to bring my favorite side dish. And it's going to be a hit. People are going to talk about it. And I'm going to do everything that I can to ensure that this happens. I want to make heaven. But the goal isn't just to make heaven, it's to take everybody with us. I want to have hope. I want to be in community alongside people who will support me and love me, but also want to invite as many people into that community as possible, that it's not just about sitting and waiting for Christ to come because he's going to come back, but is he going to find us waiting, sitting around a fire and singing songs, or is he going to find us active, working in the trenches of ministry, trying to make sure that people know that there's hope, that hope is an action that we take to make things better. And if you want your friends and your family and the people around you to come to the knowledge of Christ, then I would ask, what are we doing to ensure that that transpires? 
What are we doing? Are we praying? Are we working? Are we being a light? Are we being a, a positive influence? Are we being Jesus to people who may never see Jesus? Are we his hands and his feet? Are we actively working? Hoping Christ means we're not sitting around waiting, but we're doing what he's called us to do, actively doing what he's invited us to do. And whether it's here in Evansville or, or beyond, we have a responsibility to just share hope. Hope is everlasting. Verse 33 says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom has no end. When you place your hope in Christ, it's forever. It doesn't end. It continues on and on. That you and I don't just have hope while here on earth. We have hope that Jesus is coming back for us. I know it's hard to understand and, and I can't always process it myself, but this is not all there is to life. It's interesting how often I get caught up in my own situations that I feel like this is just it. And when I feel like this is it, then everything that I experience and go through seems to carry so much more weight because i got to make the most of this time that I have. But this is not the end. This is not the end for those of us that have given our lives to Christ. We have hope that we'll be with Jesus in eternity. That our hope is not just that Jesus came and died, but that he'll return. And the issue we have with hope is that it implores us to be patient. Not passive, not lazy, but patient. Patience is not something that uh, would would articulate who we actually are. It's not something that would describe our, our, our mannerisms, but hope in God is to be patient with God. God, I need you to do this, and I'm gonna pray, and I'm gonna do my part, and I'm gonna do everything I can, but I'm gonna have to be patient to know that it's gonna happen in your time. Hope is expectation. It's confidence in something reliable. God is gonna come through, but I'm gonna have to wait. And God doesn't give us a tracking number. Wouldn't it be great I could wait 700 years if I would just have like a tracking number. I could tell my kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, two more years, 200 more years, 150 more years. We'll wait if I could just get that number, but I don't get it. I always get it in hindsight. I'm like, oh, yeah, I was going to have to wait six months for that. I was going to have to wait a year for that. Oh, it's going to take five years for God to work that out in me. Here's the thing. If God gave us everything we asked for and needed, we wouldn't be prepared for it in the moment. There are things that God has to take us through to get us ready to prepare us for who he's got, uh, creating us to be. And much of our anxiety comes from our inability to be patient with God. It just does. That the real issue is we are setting, uh, settling for the immediate over the eternal. We love the immediate. And God says, I'm playing a bigger, bigger, bigger thing in your life than you could ever imagine. We only see here, and God's going, I see all of this. That God isn't bound by our view of time and space. He's working things out in his time. He is the everlasting hope. Everlasting means that it's beyond today and tomorrow and this year and next year and on and on. He is the everlasting hope and not everyone has that everlasting hope. Not everyone has aligned their life with Christ and has received this everlasting hope that our world is in despair. And if you look around, you realize people need hope. So how are we gonna share it with them? How are we gonna spread the hope that we have in Jesus? See, despair is the opposite of hope. Despair, by definition, is the complete and total loss of hope. That if you're here in this room and you're feeling like your life is in despair, you're teetering on the edge of giving up, then my encouragement to you is hold on to hope. But make sure your hope is in Christ. Make sure it's not in something tangible and here on earth, but make sure it's in the eternal hope of Jesus Christ. 
and then hold on to it. When you make sure your hope is aligned appropriately and not misaligned, then you hold on to it and you don't let it go. And it doesn't matter how dark things get, you hold on to hope because God is for us and his promises are yes and they are amen. And if this is you, you cling to hope tightly and you don't let go and study it and repeat it to yourself and find it in scripture and sing it in songs and search it and discover it and make hope this mantra that you repeat over and over surrounding yourself with people who speak life and hope into your life because we don't let it go and then share that hope. Oh, that's never gonna happen. You don't know my God. I'm holding on to hope. He's always come through. Share that hope we have in Christ. See, our lives are mapped by our hopes. The ceiling of your life is created by what your hopes are in. When we lose hope, then the ceiling of our life, the capacity that we have begins to be reduced But hope in Christ is eternal, it's everlasting. Hope in Christ is risky, though. Here's what I know about you and I, is everything we do in our life is risky. It's calculated risk. Everything, cars you drive, the places you go, the next breath you take, none of it's guaranteed. It's all a risk. And you and I very rarely even contemplate it. We just live life as if it's just going to be given to us every day, every moment. And then when it comes to Christ and actually placing our hope in him, we go, I don't know. Let's let's see if it's trustworthy. We risk everything all the time, everywhere. And yet when it comes to Christ, who has cared for us every step of the way, we go, well, let's just slow down a little bit. Hope in Christ is risky, but it's a risk worth taking. In verse 34, it says, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I've not been intimate with a man? The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will, call, will be called the Son of God. Now, if an angel came to you tonight, and I pray it does not, and it says uh, you're going to conceive and give birth uh, and, and it's going to be immaculate conception and we're going to call him, you know, Jesus, uh, you would go, that's crazy, uh, but you would have something to draw from. You would go, well, I remember in scriptures and in Sunday school and I remember in service. Like, that's happened before in human history as told through scripture. And so you might think it's outlandish and crazy, but at least you would have something to draw from. This has never happened in human history. This is the first time she's ever even hearing of the concept of immaculate conception. Now, uh, we don't believe that this is going to ever happen again, so I don't want you to misunderstand me and be like, maybe me. That's not going to happen, but... But we had something to draw from. She has nothing to draw from, nothing to pull from. And I would imagine Mary would have sat back in the chair and just been like, what? Like it's not even a concept that we have in our framework. How in the world do you even begin to explain this to the people around you? See, hope is risky. She was putting all of her chips to the center. She was going all in on this idea. And a lot of times we imagine that following Christ is safe. And yet when you look at men and women of scripture, they were not safe. That God consistently invites us into hope in him, which keeps putting us in the line of fire many times. The churches often paint Jesus as a safe option, but placing our hope in Christ puts us at risk. It does, your reputation, your image, your finances, everything. And Mary had hope in God, and she ended up pregnant, right? And so that may or may not have been a good thing, but in this situation, I don't think she thought it was. Placing your hope in Christ is a risk, but I'm here to say it's a risk we're taking. That placing your hope in anything other than God is a risk not worth taking. That hope can sometimes be confused with faith, but faith is the substance of things that we hope for. So our faith in Christ, which we talk a lot about in church, is closely tied to our hope. 
When your hope is reduced, what happens to your faith? They're closely tied. And so if you want more faith in God, we increase our hope in God. The ceiling, the capacity of our life begins to enlarge. In Psalm 71, it says, but I will hope continually and I will praise you more and more. If you've taken nothing else today, take this passage with you. And when you feel in despair and you feel fear and you feel like you're going to lose your control or lose hope, I want you to hold on to that passage, Psalm 71. I will hope continually. And look what the psalmist says. I will actually praise you more. So the moment you wake up and you go, oh, this isn't going to work out or oh, this is going to fall apart or oh, God's not going to come through, I want you to worship. I want you to praise more, more than you would. And whatever you're praising, praise more than that. Because that's the antidote to fear and anxiety and despair is continually praising God and hoping that much more. That on paper it doesn't make sense, but God is involved, and so we can find security and comfort because God does not fail us. He just simply does not. Now this holiday season, we look toward the future promised to us by God. That God promises to be near us and with us. This is the hope. This is the waiting, knowing that you're waiting on God who's proven himself over and over. And so you might be in a situation today where you're feeling like you're going to lose hope. Jesus wants to come alongside you. The thrill of hope is that we get to experience the not yet while longing for the yet to come. That maybe you're here and you're in desperate need of God to deliver you from some situation or a pattern of sin or, or some uh, story that you're involved in. Maybe you need to draw on the hope that comes from Jesus Christ today. Maybe you need to borrow a little bit of someone else's hope, leaning into community. But if you consider your life without Jesus Christ, it's hopeless. That everything comes down to accepting Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior. It starts there. That's the epicenter of your narrative. It starts with saying, Jesus, I need you. I've tried to do it without you, and I need you. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you say, I need Jesus. Maybe you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart before. Maybe you've never aligned your life with Christ. Maybe you've never surrendered control and saying, Jesus, I want you to lead and guide me. Uh, or maybe you've asked Jesus into your heart before, and maybe you've walked away. I need you to know he hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. He's patiently waiting for you to come back to him. And I believe the Holy Spirit has been stirring and drawing and preparing you for this moment in time and history. And I want to be the one to introduce you once again to Jesus Christ, who loves you, who gives you grace and mercy and compassion. He didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save us most often from ourselves. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you say, I need Jesus, I want you just to put your hand up. You can put it right back down. I'm not going to call you down front. Thank you. I'm not going to call you down front. I won't embarrass you. We're just going to pray together. Anybody else say, I need Jesus. I need to invite Jesus. Thank you. I need to invite Jesus into my life. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. I need Jesus. I've tried the other way, and it's simply led me to where I am. I need Christ. I need hope. It's eternal and everlasting. I want us to pray this prayer together. Everybody across the room, I invite you, whether you raise your hand or not, I'm gonna pray the prayer, but you're gonna give it the heart and the intention and the meaning. Let's pray this prayer. I want you to repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord, my personal Savior. I invite you into my life. Lead me 
guide me. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for letting me start new. In Jesus' name. Let me pray this over you. Father, for those of us in this room that are praying this prayer, whether it's the first time, the millionth time, Father, I ask that you would come in, that you would make yourself real and known to us. We give you our lives today. There's a lot deeper conversation that we need to have with you, and, and this is just the beginning, the catalyst. But Father, we're crying out to you this morning, saying that we need you. So strengthen us, encourage us, and increase our hope. This Advent season, let us remember the hope that we have in Jesus. He was born, lived, and died for us, and he will one day return, that Jesus is our one true source of hope in this world, and we cling to him. We share him with everyone around us, so help us not to lose heart. Even when we feel like we're slipping, remind us that inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Show me how my troubles are achieving for me an eternal glory that far outweighs my circumstances. Fix my eyes not on what is seen, but what is on unseen we may continually hope all the more. Father, we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody say amen.